We're in the middle of a sermon series entitled, The Gift That God Has Already Given Us. Last week, we dove into the gift of peace, the peace of God. And we took note of, I hope, the following three things that I think are things that we should always keep in mind. You know, I'm going to repeat them because oftentimes we don't do that great of a job communicating the same truth, so we repeat them over and over again so that they stay in our minds. First thing we need to remember about the peace of God is that peace is a product of the presence of God. Wherever God is, there is peace. Remember, Isaiah says, he is the prince of peace, and the government is on his shoulder. In other words, God's kingdom is governed. Jesus Christ is that governor, and how does he reign in peace? Now, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not something outside of us, it's inside of us. So if the kingdom of God is inside of us, that peace should govern our lives. Do you know that? That peace should be governing our lives. Second, we said the peace of God is present even when trouble surrounds us. We, our hearts don't have to be troubled even when we're surrounded by trouble because the governing peace of God through the Holy Spirit is in us. And third, we said that the peace that God gives, no one can take from us because it is the government of Christ within us. Again, again, No one can take the peace God gives us. We can give it away, but no one can take it from us. And the last thing we shared, it's always good to remember, a lot of the truth of God, if not all the truth of God, are really easier preached. They're easier said than done. Right? I want the peace of God, but sometimes I'm battling with anxiety. I want the peace of God, but sometimes I'm battling with things that rob me of that peace. So I have to train myself to live in peace, to practice the things that bring peace in my life. And practicing will hurt. Let me just say that now. Practicing a life of abiding in the presence of God will hurt. You know, yesterday, I went roller skating. That was so highly pathetic. (laughs) Here I am trying to teach my girls to be confident in roller skating while, while I look like I'm straddling a horse, right? And I feel like I'm riding ice skates with the metal part on my heel. I'm like, God, this is embarrassing. And there's a lady, sweet little lady sitting on the bench just looking at me. (laughs) I'm hurting, right? I'm hurting. I'm like looking for breaks, right? (gasps) About to have an asthma attack. Okay, Sean, don't judge me. Don't judge me. It takes practice for me. And then there's these kids, 12 years old, skating backwards, looking at me. And it's like, come here, I'm going to drop kick you right now. (laughs) I mean, it hurt. You know, practicing, it hurts. Spiritual practices hurt. God tells us to rest when all we know how to do is work. God tells us to have peace when all our lives, all we do is live in anxiety. You know? God tells us, let go of control and give it to me. We're like, (laughs) what? We don't know how to do that. It takes time. Don't give up on yourself. But these are gifts that God has given us. Today I want to talk to you about one incredible gift that God has given us. A gift that I am am so thankful to see over and over again in Scripture. I want to talk to you about the gift of acceptance. Acceptance. You know, you and I have an innate need. All of us are born with a need. That need is a need to be accepted. We will, we will do crazy things to find acceptance. You see it in the little kid that does the cartwheel and says, Daddy, look at me. Mommy, look at me. Look at me. 
And you see it in people who do criminal things because the only people who affirmed them in their lives were doing criminal things and affirmed criminal behavior. You see it in all kinds of different manifestations, the reality that all of us have this core need of being accepted. We all do. In the midst of that, at the core of that need, you and I have to realize that only God can bring that level of acceptance that brings contentment into our lives. Only God can do that. And God, through the scripture, gives us its sample of those he accepts. I'm telling you, it's a wonderful gift. So what I want to do is I want to go through the scriptures and in a sense go through an overview. Just looking at the gospel as Jesus did life and walked, wrong, uh, uh, walked amongst the people. Uh, what, what is... What, what did Jesus do? How, who, who are the people that Jesus accepted? And what does that look like? And I'm telling you, if we look at that, you're going to find that there's room for you and I. Now, I want to define acceptance as we have every other gift that God has given us. And I, I want to look at acceptance. I want to define it this way. This is Noah Webster's Dictionary of Acceptance. Receiving with approbation or satisfaction. In other words, when God receives you, uh, Sister Benita, he receives you, and he's excited, and he approves of you. You know? He says, yes, come in. I approve of you. You know? Completely wide-eyed, looking at our lives, he takes us in and says, yes. You know, as I was thinking about this, I know, sometimes your pastor thinks a little bit dysfunctionally, but as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when I was told to clean by my parents, Right? My parent, my mom would ask, are you done? I would kind of squint in the bathroom and be like, it looks done. Just don't go in there. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's done, right? Kind of squint, make believe it looks done. Sometimes we, I feel like we have that view of God. That God's squinting us, at us like, oh, okay, come in. Just go into heaven. That's not it at all. God sees you with eyes wide open. And he says, I approve of you and I want to receive you. Here is another definition of acceptance. Favorable reception. That's work done to acceptance. Number one, Jesus already did that work. And when we receive the work of Jesus in our lives, we are favorably received by God. I want you to think about that. I want want you to tell yourself that. Amber, God favorably receives you. So when you do prayer, when you do life, when you do parenting... You're not doing it to get the approval of God. You're already favorably received. I want you to think about that. You are favorably received by God. Eric, you're favorably received by God. God receives you and blesses you and showers you with his grace. You're loved by him. He's looking for opportunities to show off in your life. You're favorably received. And I want to tell you that you and I have to be willing to look a little crazy Look at ourselves in the mirror and say, Carlos, God favorably receives you. He receives you. Because sometimes we've got to speak to our souls. Listen, if David had to speak to his soul, line up to the word of God, you and I are going to have to do it. Even if we have to put our nice white jackets on, stand before the mirror, says, I'm favorably received. I'm staying here till I get it. All right? <laughs> We're staying before God. 
We're going to receive this. We need to speak to our souls because our souls can lead us the wrong direction. Are you with me? Accept it. So who does the Bible say God accepts? What does that look like? Romans 10, 11. I want you to keep this verse in mind as we go through these examples. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. So who is it that Jesus accepts? Let me make this claim by what I see in the gospel. Number one, Jesus accepts those who are sick. Jesus accepts those who are sick. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read this portion of scripture to you. Verse 9 on down. And Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at uh, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciple, what does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well, those who are healthy have no need of a physician or a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Now, this is an interesting portion of scripture that describes to us a little bit of the culture, what's going on. I want you to know that the tax collector that Jesus actually called is the writer of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is now telling him, telling on himself, telling his story in a very humble way, kind of try to depart himself from, from, from that story in a sense, not to call glory unto himself. But very clearly, he says, there I was, I was a tax collector. And in that culture, uh, it's very interesting because Matthew was a great historian. As a matter of fact, when it comes to historical facts, Matthew was the best gospel written. When it comes to history that proves the Messiah, Matthew did a better job than Mark, Luke, and John in regards to that matter. But here he is, completely Jew, understanding Jewish culture, and he serves Rome. He serves Rome by taking taxes from the Jews. And in that we know that they didn't just take a certain portion that Caesar required, but they possibly took money for themselves. They took advantage of the people. They are so hated that tax collectors have their own sinner category. There are sinners, that includes everything, and then there's tax collectors. I mean, that, that's pretty extreme, but that's how they were looked. That, that's how, that's how uh, they were perceived. And in the presence of that, in the midst of his sin, in the midst of the table, while he was doing his work that people hated him doing, Jesus says, Matthew, follow me. Can you imagine the Pharisees? Tax collector. I can't believe this. And he's supposed to be a man of God. And Jesus does not care. Right? He calls this man, and this man is so excited that Matthew opens up his house, and of course he's going to invite the people to hang out with him who are other tax collectors. Right? And back then, people who collected taxes were not liked, which is very different from our culture. Just kidding. But you know, but there they were, there they were, you know, surrounded by sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees are like, what are you doing? You know, aren't you supposed to be a righteous man? They said to the disciples, what is he doing? And Jesus says, look, I didn't come for you who are righteous. I came for the sick. Doctors are for those who are sick. 
Learn what this means. I require mercy, not sacrifice. I delight in mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus is painting a picture. And this is the painting that, that he's drawing for us. This is it. I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. I came for those who can acknowledge that they're sick. And sickness here not meaning just physical ailment, but meaning someone who knows that they're in need of a Savior. They're in need of grace. Understanding that I cannot do anything within myself to be righteous before God. I am not worthy. I'm not capable of paying the price to get to the level of God's morality. I need a Savior. And Matthew was there. The Pharisees were not. Consequently, we see here a person that is accepted by God, and we also see a person rejected by God. The person who's rejected by God, the person who can't receive or accept. My righteousness does not meet the righteousness of God. I need a Savior. Who's accepted by God, the person who acknowledges they're sick. I need someone to intervene on my behalf. Then Jesus says this deal. He says, I require mercy. Mercy, not sacrifice. And it's not that God is against religion or sacrifices because obviously God established the sacrifices. But this is what he's saying. It's very deep. He's saying, paper, rock, scissors, shoot. I'll tell you what I mean. Just follow me, okay? If we play paper, rock, scissors, shoot, you shoot scissors and I shoot rock, what happens? I crush your scissors. That's right. Right? If I shoot paper and you shoot rock, the paper covers that rock. One thing trumps the other, right? It's a trumping system, per se, that you see in this game. And we love, we use that game for deep financial decisions. (laughs) Okay, no. But listen. There's a trumping system when it comes to understanding God, and that's this. His mercy is higher than the judgment in our lives. Anybody thankful for that? Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's not that he doesn't judge us. It's that he chooses mercy over judgment. And in this case, mercy reflects to Jesus himself because Jesus took the judgment of God to be the fulfilled, the manifest mercy of God towards us. So God is not looking, in in this case, he's telling the Pharisees, it's not about sacrifice, It's, it's about mercy. It's about mercy. This is a powerful portion of scripture. I didn't come to call those who think that they're better, that they're good. I came to those who know that they're sick and need of a savior. If you're here today and you recognize, I need a savior. I need a savior. If you're here today and you're saying, I recognize that I need someone to intervene on my behalf. And I know that Jesus is the only one that can intervene on my behalf. And I'm willing that he would intervene on my behalf. I want you to know, Jesus accepts you. He accepts you. Not by your works. They never cut it. Not not by your ability. Not by what you do. He delights when you try to do good. He delights. He sees that you're trying to honor him. Don't get me wrong. But listen, you're favorably received because Jesus died so that you can be acceptable. He accepts you today. Second, Jesus not only accepts those who are sick. If you go through scripture, you find that Jesus also accepts those who are guilty. John 8, the woman caught in adultery reads this way and John chapter 8, 1 on down. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, 
uh, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And this they said because they were trying to set a trap. Verse 7. And as they continue to ask, excuse me, this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I want you to notice, Jesus didn't say, if you're without sin, stone her. He's saying, he's saying, just one, one of you, and any one of you, any one of you can claim that you're without sin right now. Go ahead and throw the first stone and then everybody else can go ahead. Just one, anyone? And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. (coughs) Excuse me. Beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Man, such a powerful story, isn't it? Here is Jesus. It's the beginning of the day. It's the break of dawn. He's going to the temple. And here are the Pharisees. Obviously, they strategically plan to trap Jesus. And they bring this woman who's committed adultery. And they're asking him to stone her. Why? Because they want to see how Jesus will respond to try to trap him. Which means no matter how he decides, he's not going to win here. But adultery here is not committed independently. It takes more than one person. They only brought the woman. What's the deal with that? Sister, say amen. You know, it, it talks about the culture and the things that are going on there. But also, but also that's not the only factor there. They're also, again, you've got to keep in mind that they're wanting Jesus to break the law of Moses or to fulfill the law of Moses and stand against the very message he's been preaching all along. So Jesus begins to write on the floor with, with uh, a, a stick or what have you, or with his finger, and he begins to write. How many, wanna, how many of you want to know what he was writing? So do I. I can't tell you. But we'll know on the other side of eternity. But when he, we know this for sure, the IVP commentary, Adam Clark, Barnes, and Matthew Henry said this, that whatever Jesus was writing on the ground, made clear to them that the judgment by which they're judging her will be the same judgment they will receive. And each and every one of them begin to drop the stone because they recognize, I don't want that on my, on my back. And now here is Jesus. This is the beauty of the whole deal. Jesus is sinless. He is worthy. He is righteous. If Jesus chose to stone her, it would have been a righteous stoning. Instead, he looks at her and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are they? They're not here. And Jesus, who has the right, says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Consequently, the acceptance of God doesn't mean that we continue to live in sin. But we receive that acceptance and that love and that transforming love leads us to live righteous and holy lives before him. I want you to notice here. Jesus accepts the guilty which means basically this. If you're here today and you recognize you've been guilty of sin, you've made mistakes in your life, things that sometimes have filled you with resentment, maybe you're living with resentment and regrets right now and they've affected your relationships and you're recognizing it right now. If you can go before God and say, God, I recognize that I'm guilty of this, I want you to hear the good news. He accepts you. 
He accepts you. You don't have to go around with your buddy condemnation and shame calling you a sinner and all kinds of stuff and destroying your life and your relationships and your family and your children and your grandchildren. You don't have to. Because Jesus paid the price so that you can be free from the guilt of sin. He accepts you. He cleanses us. And he calls us to a new life, which means this. This is the, this is the deal. My new life is not just me forgiving you of your past. By my new, but my new life is me forgiving you of your past and giving you a hope and a future. God is good. His, he's good. God accepts the guilty. And that is me, my friends. I'm so glad that he accepts us. Jesus also accepts those who are blind. I'm going to go through these very quickly. John chapter 9 tells us a story of a man that was born blind. And as he was born blind, the disciples, uh, well, he was there. He was older and adult already. And the disciples of Jesus are walking. And the disciples look at Jesus and they have this interesting question because they think sickness, they see sickness is always tied to a sinful behavior. And so the disciples look at Jesus and they say, so, hey, Jesus, who sinned here? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Why was he born blind? And Jesus said, neither, guys, neither. I'm going to really mess with your perspective. He was born this way for the glory of God. say what and jesus and jesus the bible says he takes mud he spits in it dirt or he takes dirt he spits in it makes it mud and then he puts it over the guy's eyes and the guy can see i mean this is the recipe for all healing just kidding do not do this unless the lord tells you to but hope not on me okay so you know here this this happens And he can see in the Pharisees, of course, they're upset. He did this on the Sabbath. And why are they upset? The reason why they're upset, John tells us, it's because if Jesus continued to do this, they were afraid that they would lose their place. It wasn't really because they were trying to honor God. They were afraid about their position. That's a scary place to be at. When titles matter to us more than the truth. Boy, that's a scary place to be at. And so... They go to this blind man and says, who made you whole? What is this? And he tells them, Jesus made me whole. They call his parents. Was he really born blind? He was born blind. How, how can he see? Well, don't ask us. He's a grown man. I don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue, basically. Ask, ask him. And then they go to him and that, listen to this leading question by the Pharisees. They were so unconcerned with the truth. They just wanted to judge Jesus that they said it this way, David. They said, tell us the truth. They said, give glory to God and call this man a sinner. What is that? He said, well, wait a minute. Be a sinner or not, that's not for me. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. He said, well, how did he do that? How, how did he do that? He said, I already told you. It's that you want to be his disciples too? They got infuriated. They were so angry. And he corrects them and he says, how can God use an unrighteous man? No, never in the history of humanity do we see God use a man who's unrighteous, but instead he uses the righteous. This man is righteous, and they condemn him. They send him out of the synagogue, and finally Jesus hears about this guy, and he, he meets this guy. He's, uh, on, wherever he meets him, Jesus says, uh, Jesus says uh, in that portion of Scripture, John nine thirty five on down, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe? And Jesus said, You have seen him, and that is he who's talking to you right now. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Here's a very important point. 
No one in the Bible ever receives worship other than God. When it comes to God and the things that belong to God, angels never receive worship. They're like, no, 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 don't worship me. But when you look at Scripture, the only person that receives worship where it's acceptable is God. And Jesus is receiving worship. Okay. Then, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may be see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said, So are you calling us blind? So are, so are we blind also? And Jesus, said, and Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say that you can see, your guilt remains. And you see the same principle here lies. Jesus said, I came to help the blind, those who realize they have no hope and no future without me, that they're confused, that they need clarity in life. I came for those who cannot see, right? Those are who I'm here for. But if you claim that you can see already, you don't need me. I didn't come for you. And that's your judgment, that you think you're so righteous that you don't need me. It's the same exact principle as the scripture that we went through before. This reality that they didn't see their need of Jesus. And some would say, well, the blind man, they received a miracle. It's easy for him to receive Jesus because he could see. But see, this is the principle about miracles. You can only receive a miracle when you know you need one. You can't receive a miracle when you think you need nothing. And that's a problem with the gospel in our culture. When you don't need Jesus, there's not much Jesus can do for you. We need to really think about this. That's why the poor are blessed. That's why the persecuted are righteous. And so forth. You see Jesus reaching out because those who have a need of a Savior and recognize it, those are the ones that God meets. Okay, let's move on. Jesus accepts the blind. If you're here and you recognize you need vision and hope and a future for life, Jesus could give you that. If you recognize that without Jesus, you don't know where to turn. Pray God, praise God. He accepts you. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to skip. No, I'm not going to skip. You're just going to have to deal with me. Love me. Jesus accepts those who are misfits. Did you know that today? Jesus accepts those who don't fit in. John 4 tells us the story of the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan, again, Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans caused, caused so much grief to Jews back in the days of Nehemiah and so forth, they hated them. They hated them strongly, yet Jesus made sure that on his route he encountered a Samaritan woman. Incredible. And he speaks to her, and as he speaks to her, this woman recognizes that he is a prophet of God, and she has this yearning for the Messiah. And she says, I want you to read it this way. It's as if she says, one day the Messiah will come. With this hunger in her. One day the Messiah will come and he will, he will tell us all the truth. And Jesus says, woman, I am he. And she becomes the first evangelist and she shares, isn't he the man? Isn't he the Messiah that we're waiting for? Here is Jesus making way in his travel to find the outcast. And I want you to notice the truth about the gospel. We don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us. He finds us. He finds us and he reveals himself to a misfit, to an outcast on so many levels. Here is a woman in that culture, unacceptable to a man to speak to a woman, a Samaritan hated by the Jews. 
Right? Probably worse than tax collectors. Okay, three categories. Sinners, tax collectors, Samaritans. Right? But, but alongside with this, this is a woman who had been married multiple times and is now five times and is now with somebody she's not even married to. And in the midst of her broken mess, Jesus accepts her. And how does he accept her? Because she came to him? No, because she, he came to her. Isn't he good? Jesus came for the misfit. If you're here today and you feel like, you know, you just don't fit in. All your life feeling... Listen, I'm going to take a minute to talk about this. I know it's hard to admit this, but I want, I want you to personally get this. Just check, check this in your spirit. Have you lived your life feeling like you just don't fit in? Like you're an outcast. Jesus accepts you. You don't have to be defined by that anymore. You're accepted by the Father. You're not only accepted, you're loved by the Father. You belong. You belong. There are no misfits in the kingdom. In this world, none of us fit in. We don't fit in. We don't fit in. But in Jesus, there are no misfits. We belong to him. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And we'll close with this. Jesus accepts those who are desperate for a miracle. Jesus accepts those who are desperate for a miracle. Mark chapter 5 and Mark, Matthew chapter 9 tells us the story of this woman who had been bleeding for years on end, 12 years, hemorrhaging. And she went to doctors and to all kinds of different things to try to get better, and she wasn't getting better. She heard about Jesus. She must have heard about Jesus and his ability to heal. And in the process of that, she made up her mind, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to him. And she put her faith in the fact that if she just touched the hem of his garment, Brenda, just touched the hem of his garment, she would be made whole. But we don't even know the obstacle of her getting to Jesus. We don't know how many sea of people she had to go through. We have no idea how long she had to crawl, how many times she must have been stepped on or spat on or whatever, whatever way. Bible says that she was so desperate to humble herself to the point of just wanting to touch the hem of his garment. And that incredible humility... She was desperate. And when she, got, when she got to Jesus, even though Jesus is being pushed about, he's got people all around him, Jesus feels that anointing has left him. And he says, somebody has touched me, and she confesses, it was me. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. And here you see an example, not of Jesus again condemning or saying, how dare you do this without my authority. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he says, your faith has made you whole. You want to know why? Because Jesus accepts people who are desperate. I want you to, I want you to hear this. People that... I want you to understand this. People never turns anything, anyone back who seeks Him in desperation. Desperation. If you're desperate today, you're going through a situation, you're going through a brokenness, you don't know how you're going to make it. You take that desperation... And you make up your mind that no matter what happens, no matter how many hours you got to spend on your knees, no matter what you have to do, you're going to get to Jesus. Jesus is going to do a work. Jesus doesn't turn back anyone who's desperate for a miracle. Are you desperate for a miracle today? Take that desperation and don't, don't go to complaining and don't go to bitterness and don't go to the ways of the world. Start getting to Jesus. Start getting to Jesus. 
And you'll see the presence of God do a miraculous work in your life. Would you stand with me today? Praise God. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Would you all... Hallelujah. Would you all just begin to give thanks to God for His acceptance? If you're a believer today and you you receive the acceptance of God, you receive it. Would you just begin to raise up your voice and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for receiving me. It's such a gift. Thank you for your acceptance. Thank you that I am favorably approved. I'm favorably received. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We all need this reception. We all need you. We're so thankful. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you, Jesus. Some of you need to go back to the place where Jesus found you. He found you guilty. He found you sick. He found you blind. He found you an outcast. He found you desperate. When you couldn't even seek him because you didn't even know how, Jesus showed up. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are fatherless, and I will be your father. Come to me, all of you who are depressed, and I will give you joy. And he... Scripture doesn't say that, but that's how we've experienced the glory of God in our lives, isn't it? But you go back and remember. Some of you need to remember that. And some of you here need to receive that acceptance. I want to call the entire church. I want to call each and every one of you at this time to join me here at the altar. If you can, if you're able, if you're not occupied, I want to welcome each and every one of you to get up from your seats and let's come up to the altar here. Praise God. now you may feel like you're surrounded by others you are surrounded by others I want you to know something even as you were coming up I felt like I needed to share this with you God wants to surround you with his presence in a deeper greater way he delights in showing up in your life and if you turn to him He accepts you. Don't worry about what you can and cannot do. Don't worry about what you've done and have not done. Just turn to him right now. He accepts you. Let Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit in you, take care of the rest. Maybe you're here, whether you're a Christian or not. 
But today you recognize, you know what, Pastor? I haven't been living my life out of this place of being accepted in Jesus. I don't really live with this acceptance, like this reality that I'm accepted. Today I need, today I want to receive that. I want to receive that gift. Receive the gift of his presence in my life. I want to receive this acceptance of the Lord today. I've been doing my life just going through the motions and I recognize that there's an emptiness and a lack of his presence. And it's because I'm not accepting. I'm not accepting the love of God and the grace of God. Right now, if that's you, right now, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Let's pray. Brothers and sisters, look at those with their hands raised and begin to pray. Just send your hand towards them. Let's begin to pray for them. As sure as those hands are extended towards you and as sure as you sense the touch of a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, recognize God's presence is meeting you right now and accepting you right now. Thank you right now for the power of your Holy Spirit breaking the strongholds of rejection. Thank you right now in the name of Jesus. Your Holy Spirit is breaking the strongholds of rejection. Thank you that right now you've broken the stronghold of rejection. I thank you for acceptance right now in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you right now, God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We're going to walk like we're loved. We're going to walk like we're accepted because, Lord, that's what you declare over us in the name of Jesus. Some of us have a fatherlessness wound or a wound from a father that didn't treat us right. Thank you for breaking that and healing that, Lord. Step by step, you're healing that. You're bringing breakthrough step by step, and you're beginning to pour in a bit at a time the love of the Father. Sometimes that stuff doesn't come overnight or just because one a one-time prayer, but it's a process of God's therapeutic healing over your heart. In the name of Jesus, thank you, God, for removing that rejection and speaking life, speaking life in Jesus' name over your church. God, we declare it right now. Our rejection because of relationships, the things that they've experienced. God, you're removing that rejection and you're speaking life. You're making whole in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Right now. Right now. We declare it right now. Yes, God. Yes, Lord, we feel your love. We know it, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He... You're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. You're loved. So turn up again to the Yes, God. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Amen. One more thing. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I'm desperate for a miracle. Pastor, I'm in a crisis situation. I need God to intervene on my behalf. I'm in a crisis situation. I need God to intervene on my behalf. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Let the church pray for you. Amen. Whether you need healing or whatever it may be, if that's you, you're desperate for God to come through in a certain instance in your life. We want to pray for you. Amen. Look at your brothers and sisters around you now. If you see someone who's raising their hands, just extend your hand towards them. And let's pray a miracle right now in Jesus' name. Right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the miracle of your healing. We thank you for the miracle of your provision. 
We thank you for the miracle of the, the power of your Holy Spirit that undeniably does a work in our lives. God, I thank you for providing. I thank you for healing. I thank you for strengthening. And I thank you for resurrection life. Resurrection life, God. Right now, do, Father God, what only you can do. Be God and glorify yourself in the lives of your people. God, I can't wait to hear the miracles, the testimonies of the things that you've done. As we raise our hand and as a church, we stand in the gap for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you, God. We thank you in the name of Jesus for healing in the name of Jesus from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. We thank you today in Jesus' name. We thank you today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Lord, by your stripes we are healed. You shed your blood so that we would be whole. In Jesus' name. Oh, Father, we thank you for these things today. Would you clap your hands before the Lord and say thank you, God. Thank you. We thank you, Lord God. We walk in your acceptance, God. And we bless you for making room for us. (laughs) In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You're acceptable. Amen. You're favorably received. God bless you. Have a good Sunday.